0: Today, let's talk about David's pride in riches and his sin of taking a census in First Chronicles chapter 19 and chapter 20. So in 1 Chronicles 19, we find that David sends his armies out in the spring of the year when kings go to war, and they take ground, they conquer enemies. In addition to ground, land, and people that they conquer, they bring home gold, lots of gold. In fact, there's a crown that weighs like 75 pounds, and he puts it on his head, he seems very satisfied. And then it says that he subjugates these peoples to slavery, and that that is kind of the normal way David deals with the enemies that he's conquered, which, I mean, any reader of Scripture knowing the history of Israel as they were once slaves in Egypt would know that Israel then turning around and making other people slaves is now you have become the very people God freed you from. That is bad. That is not good. And then in 1 Chronicles 20, it says that Satan inspired David to take up a census of all Israel and his... His general, Joab, objects strongly to the census. In fact, he objects so strongly that he refuses to take a census of Levi and Benjamin because he's sort of secretly going against David in that respect. And the Bible indicates very clearly that David taking up the census like this is sin, that it's wrong, but it doesn't really explain why it's wrong. It seems to assume that the original readers knew that it was wrong and why fascinating. And then the Lord comes and sends a prophetic word that God is offended by David's sin of taking up the census and gives him three options. Number one, you can have three years of famine. Number two, you can have three months of your enemies defeating you. Or number three, you can have three days of divine plagues. And David says, listen, I want the third option because it's better to fall into God's hands than human hands because with the Lord, there is mercy. Whereas with people, there's not. So that's a very deep insight by David that the Lord is more merciful than humans. So if you have the option, you wanna you wanna fall on God's mercy. I love that guy. He knew God's heart. All right, but here's the question: why is taking up this census so offensive? Uh, It it was so offensive to Joab, right? Joab is not exactly the guy that you would think of as having this fragile, tender sensibility of moral truth. He had no problem with plundering uh, Israel's enemies. He had no problem enslaving people. He had no problem going in a conquest of peoples who were not attacking them. Joab had no problem with that. But he had a huge problem taking up this census, why? What's up with that? Or not just Joab, but the audience of this writing, Chronicles, seems to have, it's taken for granted that the audience would have understood that this census was wrong. Why? And, and then in terms of the Lord, why does the Lord take so much offense? What does the Lord think is at stake as David takes up this census? Well, I think that the Lord looks at David taking up the census as a threat to, to Yahweh's kingship in Israel and a threat to his status as the one in whom David and the people of Israel put their trust. It looks like in chapter 19 that pride is creeping in with all the gold and the enslavement. Hey, look at me. Look what I got. And then the census in chapter 20 seems to be going even further in that pride, assessing their forces so that they can know and measure their capacity, their greatness, as the verse says so beautifully, some trust in horses and some trust in chariots, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. And here what we have is exactly the opposite. It's trusting in horses and in sword and in soldiers and in wealth and in power instead of God. It's trusting in human resources, abilities instead of God. And God seems to be taking this as a direct threat or an affront to his kingship over his people Israel. So wealth is a blessing from the Lord, but it can also be a snare that steals our hearts and steals our trust in God. Power can also do the same. And God takes these threats to his kingship in our lives very seriously. So obviously, None of us are ancient kings who have amassed 75-pound gold crowns and set them on our heads and then subjugated others to literal slavery and then taking their lands. None of us are taking a census of our country to see how many of our people can fight for us, but I still think that this passage, these two chapters, have application to our lives. So questions for application might be stuff like, how? How am I tempted to trust in money instead of God? And you don't have to have a lot of money to trust in it. The fact that you're worried so much about not having money means you're still trusting in money. How am I tempted to trust in my natural abilities instead of God? Uh, Saying no to God because you don't think you can do the thing he's asked you is a form of trusting in yourself and therefore despairing instead of seeing the situation by faith. How am I tempted to gain reasonable certainty and security about my future instead of trusting God, who you do know, to handle the future which you can't know? How am I really walking by faith? Or how am I really walking by sight instead? Like Paul says, we walk by faith and not by sight. Now the fruit of walking by faith will be hope and joy and peace. The fruit of walking by sight will be a need to control and a need to know how it's going to work out favorably. And if we don't have that certainty that it will work out favorably, we freak out and try to make sure that we will be able to make it work out. And that causes stress, anxiety, worry, negativity, control, manipulation, resentment to those who mess up your plans, and a lot of other bad fruits. Another question would be, am I taking risks to obey God, or am I only obeying God when I think it's safe and painless and I will succeed? When I'm scared, here's another question, how quick am I when I'm scared to examine why I am scared? How quick am I when I'm scared to examine what might be in my heart that is still unsurrendered to the Lord that I'm holding on to, which is causing me to fight on my own to protect that thing or to keep what really isn't mine after all? Right? Because my life is not my own, I was bought with a price. And if my life is not my own and I was bought with a price, have I surrendered my life, which is not my own, to the one who is for me and not against me, and who rightly I belong to? So I think we kind of know that trials, hard things, expose both our bad fruit and the idols of our heart, but they also expose like our good fruit and how much our trust is in the Lord. Right, The trials expose those things. Just like running a lot of heavy trucks across a bridge will expose whether that bridge is strong enough to handle the weight of it, trials expose our faith in God or lack thereof. But here's the other thing. In both of these passages, we find successes can also expose bad fruit and idols of the heart. David's successes became a source of him moving in independence from God and pride In his accomplishments and in his possessions. Faith always will steer our hearts to a place of humility and worship and perspective. And perspective sees life as a gift, and seeing life as a gift puts our hearts in a place of gratitude. So if something other than gratitude is exposed, gratitude to God, by the way, is exposed in either our trials or our successes, it's a good time to examine whether God really is king of our hearts.